I'm Ben Davies, and this is The Clear Money Mindset. We mentioned before, like it really does depend on each individual situation, but the general rule of thumb that I think most people would agree on, or most accountants would agree on, is that you would want to invest when you're in a higher tax bracket, and then withdraw when you're in a lower tax bracket. Right. So if you are in a position where you know when you retire when you're pu- or when you're pulling this money out, your tax rate is going to be higher than it is when you contribute, then the RRSP is mo- probably not the best savings yeah. vehicle for you. Welcome to the Clear Money Mindset, providing you with help and tips to manage your money in a clear and intentional way. I'm your host and financial advisor, Ben Davies. At Davies Financial Sterling Mutuals, we want to provide you with meaningful tips to help you with your money. Well, Happy New Year, everyone. We hope that you had a great holiday season and we are excited to launch our first podcast of 2023. And we're starting the year off with everyone's favorite topic, taxes. Well, maybe it's not everyone's favorite topic, but it's a topic that today's guest is excited about. Josie Hope of LJ Business Solutions joins us again on the podcast And she's going to be walking us through some of the things that are new this year and chat with us about how to prepare for the upcoming tax season. If you'll be filing a tax return this year, which is pretty much every adult in Canada who has a pulse, you're going to want to listen to this podcast. Well, it is a new year. This is our first podcast of 2023 and tax time is going to be approaching before you know it. So today we've uh, invited Josie Hope back on the podcast to talk with us about how to prep for a tax return or tax time, um, how to make things easy on your tax preparer and some of the changes that the CRA has made this year. Uh, Josie is a CPA and she has an extensive amount of experience and we're happy to have her on with us today. Josie, thanks for joining us again. Thanks for having me, Ben. So the first question I have for you is, uh, are there any major changes in uh, taxes this year that we're going to have to deal with? So 2023 is not really going to be a huge eventful year in terms of major tax changes. There's just a few things to highlight, though. There is an increase in the tax-free savings contribution room. It is now 6500 It's up 500 from last year. The basic personal amount has increased from 14398 to $15,000. The CPP maximum has been increased from $64,900 to $66,600. And um, one of the big changes with CRA, not in terms of taxes, but in terms of how they're operating, they're really moving this year to more of an electronic approach. Okay. So they really want taxpayers to have access to my account. They've changed their authorization process and it's going to be very difficult now to authorize somebody if you don't have my account. So So authorization process meaning I my ability to allow my tax preparer to do that for me and submit it on my behalf. Right. Now okay. you will either have to initiate it or if your accountant initiates it, you will have to accept it on your end. Okay. Either way, you will have to have a my account or a my business account for self-employed individuals or yep. corporate um, business owners uh, to be able to authorize any representatives on your account. Now, for those who haven't 
set up on my account. Um, I remember years ago trying this and become really frustrated mm-hmm. because I always forget that stupid code that they send you in the mail or you lost the piece of paper or shredded it. To get on at least, it's a lot easier now. I think you need like a few digits of your SIN number, a, a number from the line of a tax return, but you can use your bank account online online login to get in, which is what I do, which is I found incredibly easier than before. So if you've done it in the past and you're like, I don't know my stupid code, um, <laughs> I think it. I think it's a lot easier to get on now than it ever has been. It is. They still will mail you the access codes. So will they? You still have to wait five to ten business days. So your first time on, you still first, need that. Yes, the oh, first that's, time. That's a pain. Yeah, yeah. They, they can't make everything easy. <laughs> no, it's the government. <laughs> okay, so um, the other thing I want to circle back on um, that fifteen thousand um, dollars of income. That's. That's basically the, the personal amount is essentially the amount you or I could make without paying income tax on it. Right. That that's, the, that's the non-refundable credit. So that's what everybody can claim on their tax return. Okay. So if I make 15000 ish, I it's basically a wash. Sort of. Sort I know. of. <laughs> Every I'm tax getting, situation is different. Yeah. But yeah, essentially that's the lowest. Okay. That's the lowest. Uh, All right. And... Um, one of the things that a lot of people rush to do at this time of year between now and the end of February is throwing money into an RSP. Um, they'll have the privilege, I think, this year, unless some sort of miracle happens between now and then of investing in a, a down market, <laughs> which is, is really a positive thing in the long run. Um, uh, but a lot of people have a hard time trying to determine what level of income should I have before I'm contributing to an RSP? And then there are different schools of thought. Well, maybe I'll use my TFSA, pay my taxes now, get the government out of my way. Um, So I know that perhaps if we had 10 different accountants in a room, we'd get 10 different nuanced answers on this. But do you have any rules of thumb, like what income level you recommend people starting to look at making RSP contributions to the point where it'd be advantageous for them. They're, they're saving enough tax to justify it. Okay, so we mentioned before, like it really does depend on each individual situa- situation, but the general rule of thumb that I think most people would agree on or most accountants would agree on is that you in, want to invest when you're in a higher tax bracket and then withdraw when you're in a lower tax bracket. Right. So if you are in a position where you know when you retire or when you're pu- or when you're pulling this money out that your tax rate is going to be higher than it is when you contribute, then the RSP is mo- probably not the best savings yeah. vehicle for you. So just to give you an example of that, um, if somebody's making about 50k, let's assume their marginal tax rate's about 24%. I'm rounding. Yep. And that would result in a savings of $240 on every thousand dollars that they contribute to an RSP. Right. So for that individual, if they contribute um, at, let's say they they contribute at 34%, and then when they withdraw, that marginal rate is that 24%, then they're gonna be ahead 10% because that's a difference of 10%. Yeah. So that's to their advantage. If you're in the opposite situation where you are contributing, at, you're making under 50,000, and you're at that 24% marginal rate, 
yes, you're getting that $240 savings on every thousand. But if when you go to withdraw, your tax rate is that, let's say 34%, then you're really not farther ahead. So I guess my general rule of thumb would be first only if have a good idea of where you're going to be at when you plan to withdraw the money and make sure that you're investing at a higher rate, withdrawing at a lower rate. And second, have a, have a general understanding of your marginal tax rate because the deduction on RSPs is based on that marginal rate. So those are the rates I'm giving you, like the 34 and 24. Those are just estimates, but that's the marginal tax rate. So, so marginal for our listeners, that that's basically, there's two ways you could look at your tax rate overall. One is the average. That's as the tax rates step up in the income brackets you're in, the average of all of that is the total of what you're paying as a whole, but the marginal, it would be the the, bra- the top bracket you're at right now. Would, would that make sense? So then if I... Be put, the rate on an, every additional dollar right. of income that's taxed. So yeah, if you're at that highest rate, every additional dollar after that. Gets taxed at that rate. Yeah. So the, like the rates that I'm, give, that I'm referring to, just to be clear, is these marginal rates are a combination of provincial for Ontario and right. federal. Yep. Yep. So the things to think about, um, a bit of advice on what people could do here would be, um, you can, you can sit down with your financial advisor, someone like myself who can, we have the ability to kind of model your, your retirement income, model your CPP OAS, look at how much you have in your RSPs and make sure that you're, you're in an area where you can ensure that the the money you're bringing out you can bring out at a lower rate or because some people get in a situation where they have so much money in rsps that there's just no way they can take it out slow enough or in small enough amounts to stop them from uh, uh, paying the same amount of tax coming out or a thing like an oas clawback or thing like that that on that people need to think about as they're planning but you can do that at tax time um and uh Perhaps just ask your advisor to make you a bit of a, just a, a one pager on, okay, well, what's my tax situation look like later and help your uh, tax preparer out a bit when they're trying to help you make a decision. Um, one big new thing coming uh, is this tax-free first home savings account. Um, we're not like the we're not like the U.S. where like their ac- acronyms are just like three letters or four num or three or four numbers. Uh, this one's a bit of a mouthful. I wanted to ask you, um, maybe you can give us a bit of a deep detail on it. But what are your thoughts on the new account? I feel mixed. Um, but what do you think? I, I'm mixed as well. There's definitely some benefits to it. Um, there are also some disadvantages. So the benefits are you get another option to save 40,000 tax-free. Um, like the RSP that your tax deductions available, um, the nice thing about it is it's not required, so you can actually deduct it in a later year. Um, like the TFSA, the withdrawal's not taxable. So in that regard, it has a little bit of the best of Both. RSP yeah. and TFSA. Um, the, in the year one, which would be this year, the 80,000 annual contribution is allowed even though it's not a full year. Um, and so those are just a few of the the benefits. Yep. The disadvantages that I think are, it has to be for a first time home buyer. 
you can't combine it with the home buyer's plan. So if you're already in, you're already in with the HBP, then you don't have the option to take advantage of this. Okay. Um, there's a lot of administrative work, as I'm sure you're aware. The account has to be closed within a year of withdrawing. There's a limit of 15 years, and then of for this account, once 15 years is up, then um, it's got to be the, run shut shut down. Right, it has to be shut down. Um, and then also there has to be a written agreement to buy or build. They're strict on this part uh, before October 1st of the year after withdrawal. So okay. you have to plan. You have to plan in advance yep. for this. So there's some good things. I don't. I know I, I was saying to this to you before we started recording how it's um, the nice thing about the RSP is the first time homebuyers plan works within that account. And once you use it, you pay it back and the RSP just keeps running a TFSA. You could use to save for a house if you really wanted to. There's it's it's a great place to save as well. But that account can keep going. So you're going to have this extra account that's there. Uh, that you got to do the work to start up and then you got to do the work to shut down and it's but for those i think who have the cash flow to do it it's probably like why not get the tax deduction but right it's so it's from what i've heard from most people there's there's uh excitement and non-excitement all at the (laughs) same time um but hopefully either way um uh, young people can start affording homes again and Maybe between this and uh, the real estate market coming back to a bit of a more sensible uh, number, uh, it'll help some people who've been working for a while to get into a home. Um, COVID started a new trend of employers allowing a lot more to be done from home than ever has before. Um, And so I wanted to see if you could just make us aware of some of the things you can write off if you're working from home and the difference between me working from home uh, for an employer or me doing it as a self-employed individual. So for those who are still uh, working at home, um, I know that's starting to decrease a bit. Mm -hmm. Um, Some are doing the hybrid, right? Where it's maybe a couple days at home, a few days in the office. But what are you able to write off? Um, And then I know in, in some cases you're able to write off a percentage of your home's expenses. And I wanted to ask you what a safe percentage is so that you don't have the CRA knocking at your door wondering why 90% of your home expenses are being written off on your taxes. Okay, so let's start off first with the employed individual. Sure. So if you're employed and you're working from home, you can still claim the, um, the home office expenses that are related to your work. So if their rules are if you're required to work from home more than 50% of the time and for a period of at least four consecutive weeks, those individuals have the option to claim either the detailed method or the temporary flat method. The temporary flat method is easy. It's $2 a day to a maximum of 500. So you can claim up to 250 working days in in the year. The detailed method, you would need a completed uh, declaration of conditions of employment from form completed from your employer. And then you can claim, like you would actually claim the expenses that you incurred during the year. Let's say your um, your desk chair, your office supplies, yeah. et cetera. Then for the self-employed, this is considered business use of home. Okay. There's two criteria for that, that the home is the principal place of business and that the space is used regularly to um, 
to either meet customers, patients, and to earn business income. Right. So you couldn't have, just to clarify this, you couldn't have like an office you go to every day, but then you own the, a business and you decide to do most of your work from home a couple of weeks. Um, you couldn't then say, I'm writing my home off as a place of business. Would that be fair? If you if you are using that as your main place of business and you're you're using it to meet clients or run business, like then it would have to it would we'd have to look at the yeah. situation. But if it's if it is intentionally used for business purposes, then that percentage of that of the time that you spent there and the percentage of the space could be claimed. So in terms of what things most people claim would be like your utilities, your yep. um obviously your you know your rent mortgage payments that type of thing um internet telephone those types of expenses uh, as for a safe percentage at the end of the day it all comes down to, comes down to reasonability um if someone's claiming 90 percent of their home that's a big red flag <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but if you are if you're using a specific <clears throat> office in your home and you take the percentage of that room in comparison to the home and you're claiming that percentage of what you're using then that's reasonable and if you're only using that room for business part of the time and you use it for personal part of the time you should be taking that into account as well and reducing that percentage to reflect that amount of time that you're using the space okay so if it's a room you're using for both so it's a i think on this stuff it's a good idea too because um i think I've talked to a few people over the years who think, you know, I'm self-employed, run my own business from home. So like everything in the world is, is able to be written off and you don't want to find out you were wrong by getting audited. It, it's a good idea. Um, instead of being overly generous with your write-offs, maybe sit down with an accountant ahead of time and say, Hey, this is what I'm doing. Is it reasonable to you before, um, the CRA tells you whether or not it's reasonable and things get changed on you. Um, so a lot of, I would say it seems like most people start getting their tax returns done that I know of anyway, after the RSP deadline, end of February, I'm sure there's people who do it before then. Um, but what I wanted to ask you last is what can people start doing now in January to ensure that they have everything they need for their tax preparer when it comes tax time? Um, are there things they could be doing now, even in January that are going to make it easier? Um, um, so what do you, what advice would you have for people who are trying to plan ahead? Okay. So there are some, some things that you can plan in advance or you can prepare in advance, like your your medical expenses, things that you would already have receipts for, you can start setting those things aside. The tax slips, keep in mind that like employers have until February the 28th to issue your T4s and then banks have to have some time to compile your T5s and T3s. So you might not have that stuff available in January, but right. maybe starting to maybe making a list of what you had um, last year, looking at last year's tax return to make sure that you're not missing anything. Um, when you, when the time comes that you think these documents are available, with everything being electronic and self-serve nowadays, you may have to actually log into your bank, log into your investment accounts. Um, students might have to log into their student accounts to get these slips. You might have to get them on your own. Yep. So, um, 
just keep in mind that that might might be something that you have to do. And um, if you're a business owner, you absolutely have to get started now if you haven't yeah. done so already. Um, start gathering your receipts, categorizing them in the appropriate categories in terms of expenses. If you're preparing everything for your, your tax preparer or your accountant, having them categorized in advance is very helpful. It will save your taxpayer time and probably save you money on bookkeeping fees when when the time so comes. You don't recommend a, a shoebox or a grocery bag just with everything <laughs> in it at once. It's very common and it happens <laughs> often. We will take care of it when we get them, but it's uh, it's definitely a better idea to be organized throughout yep. the year. Get yourself a little file folder and uh, sort everything in advance. So well, thanks for being gracious to <laughs> the unorganized. That, that's good. Um, so really, as much as you can get ahead of time, that's going to help it's going to help alleviate some stress too if you're right. not rushing to find everything that they need. A quick note too for those who have RSP contributions, um, most companies now they're they're going to give you a tax receipt issued probably somewhere in January, but most now I say now it's kind of been this way a long time. They don't issue that second receipt for the contributions you make in the first 90 days till after February is done. So um, just be prepared for that. Like if you're putting money into your investments in January, even if it's a monthly thing, you're going to have an, you're going to have another receipt that you're going to have to wait for before you do your taxes. It's just something to um, not forget. So you don't uh, accidentally miss a, uh, RSP contribution, um, by miss, I mean, giving it to your accountant. So I think, I think that's everything. I think um, so. So those are all helpful things. Um, so this year in doing your taxes, few slight changes, a bit more room in your TFSA, the new tax free first home savings account is there. Look into it. If you're a first time home buyer, if you're working from home, uh, as self-employed versus employed, there's a bit of a difference there. So make sure that you talk about that with your taxpayer as well and start organizing now everything you can, um, everything that you know that you need to get to your tax preparer that's available to you. Get it organized now. Uh, they'll thank you for it and it will make for a much more stress-free tax return experience. Uh, so Josie, thank you again for coming on and helping our listeners get ready for this year's tax return. Thanks for having me, Ben. You're welcome. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be taken as legal, financial, or professional advice. The opinions expressed are those of the participants and are for informational purposes only and do not necessarily reflect the views or opinions of Sterling Mutuals, Inc. Mutual funds and ETFs provided through Sterling Mutuals, Inc. Commissions, trailing commissions, management fees, and expenses all may be associated with mutual fund investments. Please read the fun facts before investing. Mutual funds are not guaranteed. Their values change frequently and past performance may not be repeated.